Welcome to season four of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. My name is Dr. Stefano Bini and I will be your host. The season will be unique as we will be hosting guests from around the world who have been dealing with the impact of the coronavirus on their ability to care for orthopedic patients. They will share with us their personal stories, what they have learned, and their most resourceful solutions. The hope is to promote a shared understanding of the challenges the epidemic is posing to musculoskeletal care and to highlight the ingenious solutions that have been devised by our creative colleagues and their institutions. The best ideas when shared are amplified in their impact and beget even better ideas. So let's start sharing. Welcome back to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, and on this episode, we're going to be speaking to Professor Tobias Winkler, who's working in Berlin as an orthopedic surgeon, and is going to give us some insights into what's happening in Germany, uh, in Berlin in particular, and also provide us with um, some of the best ideas and that may have had in terms of how to manage this problem. So, Professor Winkler, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stefano. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your practice and the hospital you work at. I am an orthopedic and trauma surgeon and I work at the Charité Hospital in Berlin. It's the largest university hospital in Germany and one of the largest in Europe. We have like 17,000 employees and we are distributed to three to four sites in Berlin, the capital of Germany. And me, I myself, am working at two sites, at the Campus Charité Mitte and at the Campus Virchow Klinikum, which are both in themselves large hospitals, which have like, I think, 1,500 beds in total. I'm working normally as the head of regenerative and advanced therapies. So I'm divided, I have a split position, and I dedicate myself uh, 50% of my time to research activities or doing phase one to phase three trials in regenerative medicine and cell therapies for muscle regeneration, bone regeneration, and also arthritis. We also have a clinical pathway, of course. I'm a joint surgeon myself, so I did a lot of arthroplasties and also a lot of reconstructive surgery. And this is what I dedicate myself to the, at the other half uh, of my time. Actually, the actual situation somehow hit us in, yeah, like two weeks ago, I have to say, in Germany, when Germany actually thought that it might be a bit spared still uh, from the whole situation. We were looking at the numbers in Italy that were continuously growing. We were looking at Austria, actually my home, where I left from like 15 years ago to Berlin. And we waited more or less for the first patients in Germany to pop up. And so we had then one cluster in Nordrhein-Westfalen, which is a very large country actually within Germany, where during Carnival, where lots of cases at one time that spread over the country. And then everybody knew actually that the COVID scenario would completely hit Germany. Yes, I mean, I think I can talk for a lot of people worldwide if I say that we were all quite optimistic until a few weeks ago, actually, despite knowing all the things that were going on in Italy, we were also a bit negligent probably towards these developments. And only 
I would say one and a half weeks ago, we realized that we will go down this road and have to really or expect really restrictive and have to implement really restrictive measures in order to be prepared. So thank you for that. That's an awesome review. And I think I've heard this and those of us been listening to the podcast have been hearing this quite a bit, this idea that somehow a lot of people thought that maybe it would not hit them. Even the Italians uh, were saying that they looked at China and like, that's never going to happen here. Some kind of a horror show, horror movie that was playing out in another planet. And they didn't think they'd be uh, hit. And I've heard that now from pretty much everybody. And we've certainly experienced that in the United States. So tell me a little bit about what that has meant for Charité's Department of Orthopedic Surgery and your orthopedic patients. How has that changed your world? Well, as you all know, quite a bit. I mean, after we realized that this will be a big hit and that we will have to prepare for that, we closely monitored the numbers in Berlin. Berlin is a 3.5 million, 3.5 million inhabitant city, but the area is much larger, of course. So Germany in total has 80 million inhabitants. Uh, and we were really watching all the numbers uh, constantaneously and monitoring them uh, in order to take the measures when they were important. We relatively soon in Germany realized that the fact that we sent a lot of protection gear to China when they had problems was good for the crisis there, but left us without any stock. So this is something that the globalization did not only spread the virus, it also spread the protection gear. And in these cases, actually, the well-stocked German market was completely cleared of masks and of goggles. And of it's actually, it was a crazy scenario. And when we realized that, it was a bit too late, actually. So now, slowly, the Chinese production is actually initiating itself again and we are getting gear back more or less and also the German production is constantaneously producing new masks and protection gear but this is also something that the Charité as a large hospital had to really learn hard that their stock was not meant to be forever if you're not expecting such an amount of crisis. So what we experienced in the orthopedic department was a stop of course of all elective surgeries that was implemented when actually in a quite central decision or at a concertated action of the German government when the Ministry of Health told us to stop all elective surgeries. This was only the case last week, the beginning of last week. So since then, we are operating only on emergency cases anymore and also reduced our staff. But on the other side, we are also from the orthopedic department, helping all our other departments. So the anesthesiology department has the most of the intensive care units at the Charité. And they have like now from our department, several people working and training for at the intensive care units again, where they have been previously trained, of course, during their education to help when the big wave comes. Are these residents you're talking about? Or yeah, these, I'm uh, mostly faculty? talking about residents because, of course, for them, the intensive care unit time is not that long ago. Like for me, for example, and for other consultants, they can be easily reactivated for intensive care units. Real quick, before you yeah. I want to just ask you a question. You said that you stopped all elective surgery and allowed to do the emergencies. Has there been any definition of what constitutes an emergency surgery? 
To be honest, no. I mean, we have a rating system, as you yourself know probably. This is the N0 or N1 to N5 system. So the N1 has to be operated right away without change of place. The N5 is an elective surgery and the N4 surgery can be postponed until the next day, but this is the longest. And these surgeries can still be done. So this is the definition basically, but it's not based on individual diagnosis. At this point, are you treating COVID positive patients in different hospitals than COVID negative patients? Or they're still basically whatever hospital they come to, that's where they're treated and there's no differentiation? Actually, we treat COVID positive patients in several different hospitals, but only hospitals which have special wards. So in the charity itself, we have special dedicated wards which admit COVID-positive patients or also suspicious COVID cases. And this has been defined and each patient coming through emergency departments and have a suspicion of the infection will go to specific wards dedicated to this. But not the whole hospital. So there could be a COVID ward and a non-COVID ward in the same building. No, after the diagnosis or the suspicion has been raised, the patient goes immediately to dedicated wards. And uh, have you seen a drop in the trauma volume at all? Funnily, yes. I mean, what we experience now in Germany is that we now have almost a complete shutdown, as you also probably in the US. Yesterday, the chancellor told us that there is something like a contact rule, which means that we can only, only two people together can be seen on the streets. Except exceptions are, of course, our families. And these people also have to keep a distance of 1.5 meters. So the social distancing recommendations have been translated now and transferred into law, are also checked by the police here. And this, of course, sends less people to the streets who normally also then have accidents and other problems. So there was also a slight decrease in emergency cases. So Tobias, this is terrible for your patients, right? Because they're having, they still have pain, they still need their surgery. How is Charité managing these folks at home? Are they using telemedicine tools or for the most part on the phone or email or is there any, what's happening on the ground in Germany? And is the demand for this sort of interface increasing the adoption of telehealth tools? And for the audience who may not know, the German government was, I think, the first in Europe about, what, a month ago to create equivalency payments for in-person and virtual visits. And that's very recent, so I'm not sure how effective it's been in driving adoption of digital health tools, but maybe you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, actually, it's a very short comment that I can give you there because you said it. The key is that it is a very short time that this has been announced. And this short time has not been efficient to establish all these methods because everybody still thought, yeah, this is a tool that we can, we have time to establish. And so at the moment also, I mean, we are speeding up also at Charité, all uh, telemedicine tools like the consultation hours and stuff like this. But people in pain are definitely still dependent on an emergency room or an outpatient contact. And this is something we're now 
trying to shift. I mean, we, I think in Berlin, the actual numbers are still below 2,000 COVID positive patients. So we're not yet there. We do not have the big wave yet, but we know that this big wave will hit us in maybe end of this week or at the beginning of next week. And this is what we are preparing for. At the Charity, we also just had to evacuate and you had to clean a three-story container building that has been established as a building where a lot of clinics went in when the Charité was remodernized and refurbished and renovated in the last years and that has now been used by other personnel. And this three-story building has now been reactivated for mm. intensive care beds. And mm. the Charité is also stocked up tremendously their intensive care and ventilation beds and also the extracorporeal membrane oxygenization places. So we are preparing for the tsunami wave. And what you have to keep in mind when we compare now Germany, for example, to also to Italy and some other countries is that we already have quite a, a high number of intensive care beds per population. I think it's like 21 or 22 per 100,000 compared to a third where Italy has started. I mean, now they have stocked up, but this is also something that is a bit in favor here for the situation in Berlin and in Germany. For the orthopedic department, this means that we, as I said, we send people to the intensive care units now, and we we also have one ward at our own in our own clinics that has been completely restructured as a COVID nineteen station ward. And in terms of, are you still having any outpatient clinics in person? Outpatient clinics. Yeah. For orthopedics? Yeah, we do yeah, have them. Only for emergency cases, as I said, and with the necessary precautions. So what's an emergency case? I mean, is it a uh, dislocated shoulder? I presume would definitely count. But what about an arthritic knee that needs an injection? Yeah, no, that's not a case, actually. That's not an emergency case. So what are you doing for the patient that may need surgery or they were canceled and you don't know when they're going to be rescheduled again. How are you handling that? Are you using Google spreadsheets or haven't really thought about it yet? Or where are you on the starting to plan for an uncertain future? Because every day that goes by, you're canceling surgery that was scheduled. My guess is you're probably about two or three months out. So you have about three months of people that are going to have to be taken care of plus all the pent-up demand of patients who would have been seen in clinic and weren't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a huge problem because, you, as you said, I mean, we do not know how long this crisis will last. I mean, we hope that everything will go back to normal within two months. But if you look at the numbers, if you look at the developments, if you look at the curves and also the immunization that we need actually to lead a normal life, within the population, then this will last for a very long time. So what we do is actually we basically call the patients and tell them that we have to postpone their operation to an appointment or to a time which we really can't confirm. At the moment, some of them, we already give them in the far future a new appointment. Some of them who want to actually be then first when the situation is normalized, we put on a list and tell them that we will work on that list when we know that we can go again. Yeah. And in terms of your normal capacity, are you guys, what kind of backlogs do you currently have in, in the charity for orthopedics? 
let's just say that I came to see you tomorrow and it was a normal, you know, two months ago, you would have said, yes, I'll be, I can operate on your knee in two months, six months, three months, one week. What's- well, that is actually hard to say because it's completely dependent on which clinics, you know, on which part of the clinics. There are departments who have a year or something like this, an appointment, and there are departments that have shorter times. But this is nothing that I can generalize. Mm, okay. Well, sounds like you guys are getting really organized. Open up a new building that was previously used during a remodeling phase that had been built, three-story building that's going to be repurposed entirely to ICUs. That's going to be really helpful to your population in Berlin. It sounds like at least one ward of the orthopedic department has been converted to a COVID unit. It sounds like you are allowing some of your junior residents and faculty who were interested to get retrained in the arts of the intensive care unit anesthesia kind of roles and uh, supporting the effort in that direction. And with respect to clinical care, you're limiting it to emergencies, which are defined, but not super well defined, but nonetheless sort of more common sense stuff. And also it sounds like, unfortunately, because the efforts around deploying uh, telehealth models really has only started recently, the infrastructure there wasn't in place to help you take care of patients virtually at this time. My suspicion is that given that you have the infrastructure and the payment model, this may be able to come forward quickly over the next few months. Uh, we're seeing a huge adoption in the United States. Hopefully there'll be the same case there. So did I summarize that reasonably accurately? Absolutely. I mean, we're concerning the telemedicine. I can say that we getting continually or each day we get news actually that there is a progress there within charity. So there is a task force that gathers all the digital potential and they are now really driving the app development, outpatient department, digital development that has previously been on projects that are now being driven really fast in order to set them up earlier than they had thought. Yeah. There's a few people online uh, in various uh, social uh, chat rooms and space that have been saying that once COVID resolves, if it completely resolves, and we've had a massive drive towards telemedicine, we'll never go back. It's going to be the biggest driver. It's going to essentially turbocharge the adoption of these tools. And those of us working in the space are really excited about it. I think it'll be one of the few positive things that may come out of this otherwise uh, dreadful epidemic. So I wish you luck with that. Maybe we'll be able to touch base with you again in a few weeks and see how things are going in Berlin. Yeah, I'm very curious about this discussion, what I will say then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, learn a lot about what's going on in Berlin and in Germany, and uh, your insight was super helpful to me and hopefully to our audience. And again... Vielen Dank und Dankeschön. <laughs> Thank you, Stefan. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I'm Dr. Stefan Obini. If you have comments or feedback or ideas for future podcasts, please contact me at stefano at docsf.health. S-T-E-F-A-N-O at docsf.health. D-O-C-S-F dot health. And while you're at it, you can check out the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco and all the content we have on that website. I wish each of you, your families, and co-workers a safe transition through this epidemic. 
Hopefully the information you heard today will give you both a greater appreciation for the challenges posed by the coronavirus and ideas for how to combat it. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and post about it on social media. If the man is there, more stories will be forthcoming. And if you're on the front line delivering care, thank you very much. See you on the next episode.